episode 9 of Change Voices. As always, we are exploring the challenges, successes and lessons of leadership through the experiences of women across Africa and beyond. I am your host, Paula Frey, CEO of Frey Intermedia. This week we're at the office of Amanda.mobi in the Johannesburg suburb of Bramfontein, where we are discussing how to mobilize for change with the founder and executive director, Koketsu Moyeti. During the past five years, Amanda.mobi have recorded several social justice policy campaign successes, and the team has set themselves apart as a formidable force in South Africa's civil society. Welcome, Koketsu. So, how did you become involved in social justice? Like many people, I was agitated into the space, looking at my own life, um, what was going on in my community. And it's not so much about, you know, anybody desires it, it's something you seek out. It kind of just happens to you, just this impatience. You look around you and there's an impatience with justice that just develops. And that's how I find myself here. So tell us what social justice um means to you? I think at the heart of it, social justice is about upending systems that harm people, that do harm in particular towards low-income black women, because when there is justice for this group, the entire society benefits. So we talk about systems like capitalism, we talk about systems like anti-blackness, patriarchy and ableism and so many others which do harm to people's lives. Then tell us how Amanda.mobi deals with those issues that you've just raised. So Amanda.mobi, um, we're a community of over 260,000 people who are basically trying to turn every cell phone into a democracy building tool. We do this so that those most affected by injustice, low-income black women, can take action on issues affecting their lives, no matter where they live or what language they speak. So at Amanda.mobi, we run mobile, multilingual, multi-issue campaigns, right? On the basis that um, black women's lives are not single-issue lives, on the basis that English is actually a minority language in this country. And if we want to be speaking to people and meeting them where they are, we should be able to speak to them in that way. So the campaigns we run, we try to go beyond, you know, the short-term viral wins and take it, link them to much more deeper systemic issues. So just as an example, um, a couple of years ago, there was an issue with the code of conduct at Pretoria Girls High School, among other schools, right? This became a hot topic, but at the heart of it was the notion that our education system does not consider black children to be children, right? The default idea of a child is a white child. And so we cannot be responding to these as isolated incidences. We have to be looking at there is a fundamental issue. How do we take the momentum with Pretoria Girls High School and make it something much more systemic, as in all schools should have their code of conducts changed? And just to take it back for our listeners who aren't South African, so in this particular case, the code of conduct that we're talking about dealt specifically around um, appearance, about hair. Um. Yeah, essentially what happened at the school was that, um, number one, girls, black girls, were not allowed to congregate in groups of more than three, otherwise they were seen to be conspiring, right? And then there was also the issue of hair, where hair is supposed to fall back. Um, you can't have your hair as it grows out from your head. And then there was also the issue of language, people getting demerits for speaking in their home languages, because um, they were only supposed to speak in English, whereas advocates could speak whatever language that they want to speak in. So why online though, right? Because I mean, if you look at the landscape in Africa, 
access to the internet is still very, very limited. This is why we don't work only online. We're very deliberate about being mobile-based um, because one of the few things, South Africa is a country of many divisions, right? And But one of the few things that we do have in common is most households have access to at least one cell phone. So while we do have an online platform, mobile is our biggest base, which would be text messages, WhatsApp, please call me, and so on. So it was just a very deliberate choice to make things available to people where they are, but also understanding that as time goes on, people will be able to access online. So we think of ourselves as when you're creating change or when you are running a campaign, right? There is no single way of doing it. You use all tools at your disposal. But at the heart of it, this is all they are. These are tools that we can be using to build the world that we want. At the heart of the campaigns is people. What is the real world impact that people can make? What are the ways in which you can mobilize actual people and take them up the ladder of engagement? So your campaigns actually have been really effective. I mean, you've really kind of exposed a lot of issues that have a very, very small amount of eyes and ears focused on it. You've exposed those issues to large numbers of people, but more importantly, you've actually affected change. We've seen a lot of campaigns that Amanda.mobi have done have resulted on real changes on the ground. How do you decide what is a campaign and what is not a campaign? So there's a variety of things we use, but I think as an organization that is deeply committed to low-income black women and non-gender conforming people, the first criteria is, does this impact those lives? So it's almost like a checklist. If it does not affect this core constituency of ours, we are not interested in it, right? Or there are others who will be working on it. And then based on that, we can now go to the next steps. So we have two different types of campaigns. One is a rapid response campaign where something happens now and we respond to it now. And others are long lead campaigns where we know, for example, the minister will be giving the budget speech at a certain time. How do we build up momentum in the lead up to that to get what we want allocated for in the budget? So the tactics would vary from campaign to campaign, right? But at the heart of it is a crisis so Mandler works on the basis of where there is a crisis, how do we change that into an opportunity? One of the biggest frustrations that people have is you get all of these news reports about things that are going wrong, you know, but you kind of feel helpless. You're not sure what can I do to change the situation. And that's where we come in and have an analysis that based on this, here's the action we can take, here's where the pressure point lies. And not at all times will there be a crisis on a particular issue. So one good example of this was in Gauteng, the Department of Health um, forcefully relocated mental health patients, right? And there was an initial campaign to not have them relocated in the first place while others were working on this. There was no crisis. You know, people didn't see it as a crisis because, as we know, South Africa has this deep, deep stigma against those who suffer from mental health conditions. And in some cases, you have to create your own crisis. And then subsequently, you continued on that particular campaign, well, a new campaign, in order to help the patients who had been relocated. I think it was a, it was a very devastating campaign, right, um, in the sense that yeah, um, there was one organization that had been working on it for quite some long time. And I remember speaking to the executive director. And when 
we spoke, one of the things he mentioned was how, you know, a lot of progressive people were talking about these are mental health patients that don't contribute to tax anyway, so why should we care? I remember when one of the parents of the children who was facing a relocation got in touch with us, the desperation in that email. They were just reaching out to anybody and everybody who they felt could potentially help them because there was a lot of desperation. And at the time, the parents were forming a committee and some of our staff members, you know, were attending and going with the parents. So it was quite a story of, um, it was bearing witness, you know, to what was a consistent unfolding tragedy. And it quite revealed how deep mental health stigma runs as well because for a lot of people it only became real when they found out that patients started dying and to be honest it actually jumped a very deep sense of realness when it was over 100 people whereas it's like people should not have died in the first place you know you learn a lot about our society as well it seems to me that in a country like south africa issues of social justice are so pervasive it just seems to me that there's so much work that you should be doing, could be doing. How do you decide on A, prioritizing it, but also on what your goal is going to be and what you're trying to achieve? So I think with us, at no point do we think, it's so easy when you're trying to create a change in the world, right? To think of yourself or your organization as the center of the world. The reality is that we challenge in corporates, government, and many other forces that have so much more resources and so much more capacity. So in many ways, you're on the periphery of you know the battle you're trying to fight. And with us, we believe that nobody's sitting around waiting for an Amanda.mobi to come along. So we see ourselves as how do we build up an ecosystem that through working collectively, we collectively move towards the center. That's why we work a lot with partnerships, you know, people who are based and affected, people who are doing other forms of work in this space. And it's also recognizing that your organization or your institution, this isn't where it should be working. This isn't the biggest contribution it can make, right? In the ecosystem of people who are doing many other things, how can you propel and amplify that work and push it forward? Yeah, so we spend a lot of time thinking about that and what is there to contribute? How does the community contribute? So when you have a sense of what campaign you want to be involved in, what what the goals are that you're trying to achieve, who the partners are that you want to embrace in that campaign, what are the steps then of getting from there to, to where you have um, the campaign has traction of its own? It varies from campaign to campaign, you know. Um, but one of the things we're very big on A-B testing. So A-B testing is actually testing the messaging. I remember there was a time when we ran a campaign to have R5 assault rifles removed from public order policing. Now, the R5 assault rifle is a war machine. It has no place in public order policing. This contravenes all international norms and standards and even South Africa's own laws. So when we launched the test, this was in the time of Mix It. And when we launched the test, what happened was we got so many responses. Um, people who were talking about why are our police using five rand weapons, right? And people who had also mentioned like um, R5, which is an abortion call, which we weren't aware of. And in the end, we started communicating by putting a hyphen between the R and the five so that people get it. It's something that is seemingly small, 
but it makes all the difference in ensuring people understand the message, what the call to action is. I think we take it for granted as people who are deeply embedded in the space and engaging on issues, right? That the way we understand things, that therefore everybody else understands it the same way. And A-B testing does help us ensure that, you know, people completely understand what it is we are communicating about and we are clear. Clarity is kindness. You can't expect people to be taking action on something they don't quite entirely understand. And when you have the messages, how do you decide how you're going to disseminate them? So this varies from campaign to campaign, right? Um, so one of our earlier campaigns, which is around youth deaths in the city of Ekruleni, it was a very hyper-local campaign, right? So that campaign was only run in English and Isizulu. Um, that campaign was only run on USSD and SMS. There was no online or any other component based on the needs of the community there. Whereas with a big national campaign, for example, having the public broadcast, the broadcast minus shutdown, which tells the story of the Marikana massacre, you know, there you'd be using more languages and more avenues. So yeah, it really depends on who the intended target is, who the intended audience is, and so on. So once you've answered all those questions, that helps guide you. But Kukitsa, you know, some of your messages are unwelcome, right? I mean, the reality is that sometimes people don't want to hear what you have to say. And even though the campaigns are really good and they write messages, the right platforms, the right people, speaking those messages, nothing happened. What are the lessons you've learned on the campaigns that just haven't gone somewhere? It's not just about the campaign in the moment. In the lead-up, there is a lot of narrative work to be done. I think two big examples of this is mental health and xenophobia. We live in a deeply xenophobic society. And I remember one of our campaigns um, around the refugee bill, for example, some of the comments that we got were shocking but they were deeply unsurprising as well. You can bring forth all of the evidence you want. This is what research tells us. This is what research tells us. But there is a narrative battle that needs to be formed. So I think, yeah, there's a lot to be done in terms of changing and shifting narratives, not just in moments of campaigns, the language we use in other times as well, and being very deliberate about that. Something like the refugee bill was something we had to work on. It doesn't matter even if it is a message that people do not want to hear it is a message that is very values aligned with what the organization stands for if we are all about anti-blackness if we are all about addressing injustice where it forms there's no ways i remember with life is a demeaning even this notion that these are psychiatric patients that don't contribute anything to society those are human lives they are so much more than just patients and for us, it is also so deeply important to reckon with the fact that so many low-income black people are entirely dependent on public services for mental health care. So it's not just an issue of the patients who were forcefully relocated. It's the many others who may find themselves in that situation as well. What advice would you give to community organizations who are trying to achieve at community level the kinds of things that you're doing? What advice would you give to them about starting out and working through campaigns? Two key things. So one is starting with values, right? No single institution or individual is going to change everything on their own. You do have to partner. You do have to build community. That community should be deeply based in values, right? Very often when you're trying to change something, you think the work is out there 
but it's not just out there. The work begins right here, how we communicate with each other, right? And in difficult times, what are the values that are binding us, you know? Having that shared sense of values is a very critical step. And this is how a lot of coalitions fall apart. Not because somebody messed up or whatever, but because there was no shared understanding. And this also prevents arbitrary decision-making, right? So, for example, if there's an instance of sexual misconduct, it's not an issue of, this is someone I know and like, so I'm going to deal with it differently from how I deal with it when it's someone I don't know. You are able to have a consistency in how you handle difficulties that you face in your partnership, which is always a given is going to happen. The second important step, which we take very seriously, is power mapping. We do a lot of power analysis. We always anticipate, when we start a campaign, we anticipate that it is not going to win at the first point. And so you're anticipating based on what are the possible reactions from the decision maker, what are the possible barriers, and knowing how you will be able to pivot. If we're knocking on this wall and this wall, maybe we're using a teaspoon, and it's not coming down, what do we then have to shift to bring a hammer instead to knock down this wall. So understanding the landscape, who are your potential allies, who are the potential enemies, so to speak, who are the people who would not want to see this succeed, in what ways can you ensure that it does succeed, you know? I remember one good example of this was when we had a campaign around the provision of free sanitary pads to Quintal 1 to 3 schools. The Department of Women, Children and People with Disabilities started supporting our campaign, you know, and it's like we support Amanda.Mobi's call to government. It's like, but you are the government that we are calling. So it's also just anticipating how there are forces who will not want to take responsibility, but will instead try to co-opt what you are doing just to be seen as doing something. And then to also know that at that point you haven't actually won. You know, because sometimes even if you get a commitment to something you want, you actually have to monitor whether it's having a real world impact, right? So right now we managed to get sanitary pads zero rated, but we also know that corporates have a tendency to not pass on the saving to consumers. So we've had to deploy and ask our members to monitor prices around the country because that victory is not real until it translates to real-world impact. So follow-up, depth, breadth are all just very important components. And that point actually brings up something really interesting about Amanda.mobi in the sense that on the one hand, there is this outreach about getting change at the national level or at the policy level, but there's also this real commitment to having members involved in the process. So, for example, asking members to go to their supermarkets and look at the prices of sanitary towels, right? How much people are paying. So there's an involvement of membership that is that is real. We like to think of ourselves as like a deeply member-led organization. So, for example, even setting our priorities, right? We begin every year with a complete check-in with our members. What are the issues our members want us focusing on for the year? We also look campaign tactics. You know, as I was talking about the wall, you're hitting this wall that is not moving while you are out with your teaspoon reaching out to members and asking actually you know we need to pivot this isn't working what do you think we should do so there's a lot of consultation that happens as well even on the launch of campaigns to just test the waters how do people feel about issue x and over and above that creativity is a big part of a mandla and it's a good way also
also to bring people together. But I remember with the sanitary pads campaign, um, we had a costume, which we ended up calling a giant sanitary pad, the revolutionary pad. It's chased politicians all across the country. It's been to parliament, it's been to the union building, it's been everywhere. This would not have been possible without members being involved, right? I mean, just transporting, <laughs> just transporting <laughs> is quite a mission. Um, we also do sometimes have like distributed events that are run by our members. And some members live in places where the closest postnet is 80 kilometers away, right? And we tap into the community, taxi drivers who are then able to deliver stuff to people on the main road. And we can't be everywhere. And this is why community is important because community is the only way which you can sustain any kind of momentum. This is hard work. How do you sustain yourself? Organizing is heartbreaking. It is difficult. I remember the moments of bearing witness. Team members would come back from some of those Life of City Many Parent Committee meetings feeling terrible. The beauty of community is also that when organizing is done right, it can be a space of deep, deep joy, deep healing, deep checking in on each other, how you're doing. So the moments of creativity, when we're painting the banners, um, when we are disrupting an event of a mobile network operator, those become moments of fun, spaces where we can reflect, spaces where we can unburden ourselves, which has been really, really great. And there was also people whose lives are impacted. I won't forget the parent of the child who was facing relocation with Life is City Mele. He wrote such a deep message back to us, you know, to us and the members. Those are the kind of things that sustain you, the ability to know that the effort made was not in vain, is seen, is appreciated, and the ability of the community to value each other as well, I think has been, yeah, deeply affirming. And on that powerful note, let's wrap it up for today. And to say thank you very, very much, Koketso. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Amanda.mobi's campaigning is committed to low-income black women and non-gender conforming people and therefore focuses on issues which impact their lives. This clear focus helps them to decide whether or not to invest their limited resources in a campaign. But Koketso has other tips to help you make your campaigning more effective. While it starts by being clear about your focus, Koketso and the Amanda.mobi team also innovate to ensure that they stay relevant in today's fast-moving, technology-heavy environment. Koketsu emphasizes that there is no single way of mobilizing for change. You must use all the tools at your disposal. In short, she recommends that we start by determining our shared values and those of other organizations because partnerships are critical to ensure success. Amanda.mobi uses research for evidence-based change strategies and tests these strategies and interventions as they progress. One of the tools she uses is called power mapping because this helps planners to anticipate who is the most likely to push back against a campaign. Finally, she urges us to plan for the long run and to sustain ourselves in the long run. 
We'll hear more about how to sustain yourself in our next podcast when we speak to Dr. Ola Brown of Flying Doctors Nigeria, who will also share some great ideas about entrepreneurship. You can find more information about the work we do and the Change Voices podcast on our website, freyintermedia.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. Do look out for more Change Voices updates on our social media platforms at Frey Intermedia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Remember to subscribe on your preferred platform. Thank you for your time. Until next week, let's lead. Let's lead.